Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Mothers Talking and today we've got a special guest Hannah Raphael. Do I pronounce it right Raphael? Yeah yeah like like the archangel or the ninja turtle depending on your point of cultural reference. <laughs> yes and Hannah I always think it's important to put a bit of context. Hannah um, and I like often happens in in my area in Barnes we have kind of various junctures where we cross paths mm -hmm. through her babies through yoga her children now grown her sister we just and we were cycle. I was cycling along and I saw her in the street and I went Hello. and then as we all do when mothers are talking we got talking <laughs> and then we didn't stop talking <laughs> anyway so we wanted to talk today about school and the various pressures that seem to be around primary, secondary, lots of things happening around schooling and education generally. And I wanted to say, Hannah, before we begin, and I wanted to basically you to share your story. That's that's the main aim. I could not believe my ears this morning. When I turned on the radio on the way to school today, yeah, you would not believe it that the literally headline news on Radio 4 was school attendance. Oh, yeah. Well, it's and been in the news a lot. Yeah, but today they announced they've launched the initiative for how to improve school attendance. Mm. I thought, well, if this isn't supposed to be happening, this conversation is like, you know, just looking at, first of all, hear your experience as a mother and you are the mother of George and Iris and you can introduce them, you know, um, remotely and um, and tell us a bit about how it went for you, what, what, what reason this is a thing that we're discussing. And then, yeah, I wanted to sort of set it against that context of what they were talking about in the news today, what's happening in our culture generally, really, about school stress, I suppose, is the word, school attendance, what the reason attendance is down, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, Hannah, tell us. So, tell us a so, bit. You've got, um, yeah. I, my son, George, is 13, turning 14 soon, and... Um, as you and I have often discussed, he was uh, always a sensitive, more sensitive child. And by that, I don't mean as in, he was always enthusiastic about getting involved with stuff, but he would feel things more than other children, you could always tell. Um, having said that, uh, he was always so happy to go to school, even from nursery, uh, never had any separation anxiety. He would just sort of just walk straight in and barely look back, which no, at the time was bordering on insulting, but <laughs> I was grateful for it. Um, and the same at primary school, I don't think that there was a day that went past pre-pandemic that he moaned about going into school. Of course, sometimes he would have bad days and bad experiences, um, but certainly nothing that would ever cause concern. Um, he always seemed to enjoy school on the whole. Um, then the pandemic struck, he had lost his grandmother suddenly only a few months before and they had been very close uh, and then the whole family the four of us his father and I and his sister and him all caught the virus at the same time March 2020 straight out of Wuhan I always call it um, and got a we all got a pretty heavy dose because it was the unfiltered undiluted version uh, and we all had a strong post-viral reaction as well so that was the first time that I started noticing that he was showing signs of really quite intense anxiety and was 
covered in eczema from top to toe but it was a glorious summer and we sort of we got through it and um I mean glorious summer weather-wise so we were outside a lot and you know spending lots of time together and then uh unfortunately in year six his teacher wasn't a great match for him so he was still quite anxious he still hadn't really dropped all of the anxiety but she was as I think it happens a lot with teachers they just sort of think it's all a bit in your mind that if the if the kid isn't displaying challenging behavior in the classroom they're not seeing it and so they just sort of uh just tell you that everything is fine and um and then you start feeling like you're being having a sort of slightly gaslighting experience because you keep saying well no this is what's going on and they keep telling you that it's not going on but having said that the school was supportive I must say and then he started over the summer holidays getting a bit nervous about going to secondary school but excited it was a school he wanted to go to the local academy lots of a, well, a fair amount of friends from his class were going there and I've got a picture of him on the first day really sort of smiling silly face and his uniform you know the classic outside the front door picture um, and in fact, the first couple of days all went, seemed to go fine. And then starting to, you could tell it was starting to get sort of a little intense. There was homework was starting quite quickly and there was computers being handed out and was it online or not online to do the homework? You know, all the admin started ramping up. And then the second day of the second week, he forgot his school planner, which had been handed out the day before. And he was given detention by the math teacher. It was just him and one year 11 uh, he was obviously brand new year seven straight out of the pandemic and he was given a detention for 45 minutes during which time he was told he was not allowed to look out of the window he was not allowed to do anything other than look straight ahead and uh, if they saw him daydreaming they would start the time again from the beginning and bearing in mind the day before because they thought he was being such a good boy he'd been chosen to show a new child around so he really wasn't causing anybody any difficulties he'd literally just the only crime he had committed was that in fact I had taken the planner out of his bag and not put it back in properly anyway it went from bad to worse and then then the next day I bless him he came home he was super dehydrated he'd been too scared he said to even drink his water <laughs> so I just said don't worry about homework tonight we'll do it in the morning he got up early he did his homework made sure that um, everything was had been packed up, but he hadn't noticed that because he'd taken his pencil case back out the whole night before. Sorry, he'd done everything, but and this is a kid who hasn't got strong executive function at all. Always been a bit absent-minded, but made sure everything was in there the night before. But did his homework and then forgot to put his pencil case back in. And his father hadn't checked and took him to school. So I phoned up saying, "Please don't give him another detention. He's not. He's had a bad time of it during COVID." Um, he's trying to get back on track. He's trying his best. He's a bit disorganized. Please don't give him detention. They said, oh, thank you so much for telling us he won't get a detention. But then in fact, they did give him a detention by mistake. And then the following day, they said, I said, this really can't keep happening. He's going to start refusing to go to school. He's already starting to get quite nervous about it. It's all quite overwhelming. All the, they joined the rest of the school, you know, the sort of seven, he'd gone from a tiny village primary school, essentially to this enormous school with 17 year old boys with beards you know who look like men essentially and they said no 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 that's fine and then that day he got a detention again because it was actually in fact meant for another child they'd just written his name down by mistake um he then was getting so frightened to go to school he's locking himself in the bathroom in the morning but we kept forcing him to go in he then got COVID again had to isolate again from two weeks and at the end of that two weeks said I, I can't go back in it's too traumatic and scary so I still tried to get him back in and managed just about to get him back in for a couple of lessons in the morning, one morning. 
And then they said it's fine for him to leave, but it took him about 20 minutes to get out because there's these people in sort of high-vis jackets and walkie-talkies who were sort of intercepting him and, uh, yeah, and saying, where are you going? And you need to get back to class. And then there was no record at the reception, um, even though they promised that there would be. And so by the time he got home, he said, no, 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 that that is it. I'm, I'm never going back there again. And so his post-viral response really flared again and I'm sure now with the benefit of hindsight that it's a sort of combination and puberty didn't help but his nervous system was under such attack because COVID attaches, attacks the nervous system already or can do it certainly did in our family and then this just overwhelming stress so you know he'd sort of thrown himself into it with such positivity and had such a negative experience and such a frightening experience he kind of then just went into a bit of a shutdown and and ill and uh, fatigue and depression and and out of control anxiety he couldn't go upstairs to his bedroom by himself for quite a long time and so began this period of long period of stress as a parent because on the one hand you know in, instinctively that your your child is unwell needs help and support and comfort but on the other hand everyone's saying oh school refusal you don't want to let that one continue you know if you uh, I spoke to his old headmistress and she said that she just offered no help at all. It was an incredibly isolating experience, but this was one of the most isolating feelings because he'd only left the time before. And she says her advice was just to not let that one, you know, run because it's really difficult the longer they're out. You know, it's like, thanks. <laughs> um, and so for a long time, we were just, we're all under extreme stress. I'd only just got back to work after a long period of long COVID, uh, being off long COVID myself. And um sort of flip-flop between just wanting to comfort my little boy who was so worried and uh, didn't know what was going on and unwell, um, to then thinking that, you know, he just needed to sort it out and get back in because you let the voices of the culture of other parents, of your family, of your friends seep in and sometimes it's sort of, you know, you just doubt yourself because you're desperate for some solution and you can't see anything working. And then it, so on and on it rumbles. So that was where we were at. What I loved, and I remember talking to you about it, is that despite the fact that the culture infects and it's very frightening, we remember that all with little babies, don't we? How that, you know, people where everyone's got their opinion and everyone wants to tell you how to raise your baby and then it never ends, really. But what I loved about you is that you did listen to your instincts and, he, and, he, and actually I love the fact that what I hear in that story is the fact that he was able to say all this to you and, and go... I'm, I can't deal with this. I mean, most and some children might not even be able to say that, you know, mm, imagine yeah. how many people are in the country. So, you know, hats off and a deep bow to you, the fact that you were attuned to him and it's not, you know, not gaslighting him and that what he's feeling is real. You know, that's that that's the bit that I mean, yes. I main interest of div diving into this stuff, especially having read today some of the articles coming out about school attendance. I mean, it's probably worth me saying them now, though I want to carry on hearing what then happened but I'll just say what I've read around today and it was I just did a when I'm interested in the subject I just do a I think Google's fantastic for this because you can see Google as a kind of benchmark of what our culture is telling us rather than it being actually the truth mm -hmm. because it, it's more like first of all you'll get all the standard fired out articles from the press then you'll get all the first reactions and God knows what everybody's must be Googling to get the Google search up, right? So what I found just from a very, very quick search was across the board, not one single 
aspect to the information about school attendance and school anxiety and things. Not one article anywhere across the newspapers is from the child's perspective. And every single report was about just like your teacher said, like they need mm -hmm. to sort this out. Yeah. And interestingly, worse than that, it says, I, I wrote some of the things down, that that one article, I mean, admittedly it was The Spectator, <laughs> but it's basically saying parents need to get a life, you know, and it's all, and parents are to blame, not the teachers. It says, it said, um, they listen to this phrase, stubbornly high post-COVID absence rate. Interesting word, stubbornly, like it's a kind of willful and lazy. Well, I read a, I mean, that is so interesting and it almost sort of gives me PTSD because, of course, this was all things that I was, uh, sort of stuff that I was hearing and then just kept, you know, would sort of, and I did doubt myself, like, let's be honest, like there were nights when we would have massive arguments because I would just, I'd have let it, you know, creep into my brain and think, well, that's right. I haven't really made any progress here. And, you know, let's try But every time I tried that approach, it just completely backfired. But I did read an article by Polly Toymey in The Guardian where she was just, she was saying, well, how boring the uh, curriculum has become now and that the children are voting with their feet, which I thought was... Thank be to God. So I, must, I admittedly, I haven't seen that. So I'm just going on today. No, but most of it, of course, yeah. is like that. And I, but I mean, if it was anything, to, if it was just to do with discipline levels, they would all be there because the levels of discipline are now are ten times higher than they were when we were at school. And everybody but isn't that the point though? But not even just discipline. That it's precisely possibly because of the discipline, which we'll yes, look at. No, that's what I'm saying. But the the spectators yeah, yeah. saying that you know the parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know, sort it out. And and I think it's also it's this very um patronizing approach that you know oh it's all sort of uh you know welfare kids and you know and, and I'm sure that there are lots of different reasons for people not going but there's lots of people in my, in the same situation as me particularly that cohort um who were you know had so much lockdown time uh, away from school at critical transitional age and you know I'm a sort of well-educated um you know completely sort of middle class quotes privileged professional parent and I have found it impossible and, and there's no one to help you that's the other thing I couldn't mm -hmm. find anybody who could actually offer me a path forward I was desperate to find some track to follow and I couldn't find one and I just in fact if someone had just said that he is in a state of is that in fact in a state of trauma or you know um, shut down or whatever it doesn't matter what the technical word would be but you he just needs to be given time to bob back up again so just make him feel as cozy as you possibly can and for as long as it takes and it's difficult to do that because they display horrible behavior during that time yeah, you know when yeah. you're being challenged with the whole screen drama but um actually that's what's helped us in the long run is making him feel safe again and letting him get to a place where he feels safe again oh yeah which is the standard response to ptsd generally because it's like effectively the brain has taken a photograph of the fear moment and has stored it it's not no talking therapies work for those things it's mm -hmm. about unloosing no, people kept that saying moment. he needs a therapist and he kept saying i don't need a therapist i can talk to you i don't need a therapist i know and I mean, he always knew it was interesting he was knew what he needed. Like we have just got recently got a puppy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he knew he needed a dog. You know, you just it's very difficult to trust a, a young child, you know, a young person, but actually quite often they, they know what they need. It's just it feels very counterintuitive yeah. to 
because we're coming from fear so much aren't we yeah I mean I'd like to go a bit deeper on this because actually okay first thing that's coming to mind is is you saying that we were in the dark didn't know what we were doing if somebody you know, there were no pathways out and my ears prick up because you did you know, obviously you get the same you get same you get patterns like that in childbirth and lots of areas in our culture now where people feel at a loss and I and I I wonder if isn't that because no one's really addressing the elephant in the room. So what when I so what you're you're obviously as the first person experience of this shocking thing. He's having the first hand shock, your your second hand shock. And then you're having teachers offering an abstract solution. And nobody's looking at the bit that's in the middle. So several which are several things. First of all, there's the, as you say, completely unique set of circumstances that came about for, and I can literally give you people who would have had three-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 17, 18-year-olds. There were certain junctures yeah. and people leaving university. So there was a sort of, there were types, you know, people who were just leaving, so babies going into nursery, there would have been, who apparently they were really affected. There would have been your juncture, then there was mine, which was going first year out of school to, into the first step of adult life. And then there was leaving university and all of those and going to university. And for starters, there was extra. So there were totally extraordinary circumstances for all those people who in any given life, in any given historical point, would be, by anybody's judgment standards, you know, a tricky time, which is going to obviously have varying responses you know some mm -hmm. shy people will have response so first of all you've already got a sensitive life point but then you've got that super exaggerated by the very definitely you know by being isolated and the whole thing the way the grown-ups were operating must have been you know all of that stuff so let's but setting that aside what's also been thrown into the mix and no one's talking about is the massive operational changes that have happened within education in the last five years that no one's talked about. And no, I don't no. understand why nobody got consulted. And it reminds me a bit of in lockdown when they suddenly introduced low traffic neighborhoods and thought we were all gonna not notice that there were massive bollards on all our streets. And went, oh, we'll just slip them in in the name of eco. And and it, and then go and then not think people were gonna be shocked. You know. So similarly, I mean, the changes have been eroding for 20 years because when I was going to train as a teacher, I remember my, my friend said then watch out don't come in don't do it because <laughs> things well, no, but this is it even with, he was only at that school for a few weeks but in that short time I just thought I couldn't believe how boring the work was I honestly couldn't mm -hmm. believe how boring the homework it was just copying slides that they'd had to copy in the day and and it's all rote learning and then of course there's been this awful reduction in creative uh, subjects and you know so-called soft subjects and and even PE and you know I could still remember how much I look forward to those lessons in a day because it would just give you a bit of decompression but also during mm -hmm. my lessons it was there was always class discussion there was always very much a sort of um you know emphasis on analysis and understanding and um sort of shared learning and I just found that utterly depressing I just thought well God, I just, you know, I didn't want to say anything. I thought, I can't believe this is... Because they've got to get through it, because they've got to get the, the results. Now. Yeah, but the, but what does that signify? And that's what my friend, my teacher friend saying. is it, So what it signifies is, so two aspects there. First of all, the rote learning, but two, the discipline. 
what would we have as, as grown-ups in our late life, you know, we know what would be what would be the obvious conclusion of why that's suddenly been implemented is you don't want agency. So to bring it back to George's problem, was it actually George's problem? I don't think it was. I think it was a child who was fully in his own agency, especially with a you know lovely, healthy, emotionally open, fluid life where he would have exact executed his own decision making, he would have been self-determined, all those. Suddenly he's put in an open air prison. Yeah. And and I'm I'm not going to balk about I I know I'm quite extreme, but I personally think I'll give you an example. There's a school near us um, in 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 Richmond, and when we were checking out secondary schools for for Constance, thankfully a friend of ours went already, and the granny and it needs the grannies because actually, this is my problem is our culture doesn't know what's come before. Was tra was going around with her daughter and the little girl, well the twelve year old whatever, and she said to the headmaster. Yes, they're all very good seeing the labs and things. Could you tell me where the children are private, where they can have privacy? And the head went, sorry, what are you talking about? Like as if it was like a completely bonkers sentence. And she said, where, where would they ever be able to be without being watched by a camera? And he said, well, the toilet. So at which point all of us that were thinking of applying there didn't even go and check. Because the hot, I mean, just, let's just start with privacy. Then there's three strikes and you're out discipline. And then you've got to wonder about, as you say, the content. So why is the content being stripped of proper participation, proper investment of the self, proper, I want to know what you think, George? You know, that's all gone. Now let's, why? Why is that? Well, I don't even, you know, I want to hazard a guess that, you know, well, actually, let's go to the real point. Academization is even a new word, right? So, I'll add in a bit of info. My, my my friend is a secondary school teacher, been an amazing secondary school teacher for 30 years in Surrey. She, I saw her on Christmas and she said, she was actually in tears. Sorry, not secondary school teacher. She's a primary school teacher. And guess what's happened? Even worse than George's situation, it is now a sort of law that apparently primaries have now been taken over by the secondary academies. Mm. So she said she's had this agency all her life to run her own classroom as she sees fit. And because they're little ones, of course, with that, with the nativity and the Christmas carol concert and all these, and I'm going to do this play, she says to the English, you know, whatever. Suddenly this new head has been, and I mean helicoptered in from the academy, from the secondary school, has got no experience of primary school, no understanding of the community that is that community, no interest in getting to know the teachers that have been there 20, 25 years. Not one person has he chatted to. Turns up one day as the new head, drafts in his staff, which, by the way, technocratic, you know, soldiers for the system, and they start implementing the academy system. So this is last, this is towards the end, this is September on. And they got a, a memo, whatever you call it, or an email saying, just to let you know, there'll be no nativity plays this year. Uh, there will be no Christmas carol concert. If you would like to sing, you can only sing and you can only put up Christmas decorations from the 17th of December. <laughs> and if you were found it, you would, there was sort of, you know, you were penalized as a teacher. She was dumbstruck having been a teacher for so many years that she wasn't in, consulted about this. She wasn't told this was going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And so obviously what well, I'm smelling a rat in the sense that I'm going to, what my point is this, is that school is business, basically, 
it's become a business and and that's my worry and it's not that, so that, was, my, that was one of the things that struck me was that at the beginning I got no support really from the school when this was happening because they just wanted to make sure I really realized then he was a data point and it wasn't the child that they were really concerned about they were concerned that they had a child who'd been absent for a long time because that becomes very difficult for them. So they only got properly interested, I think, at the point at which the council were going to start making life difficult for them. Bearing in mind, this was not the first time it had happened to them. They have more experience of this than me. I was just getting these calls. Where is he? Have you got a doctor's No. Have you done this? And so this sort of guilt that I wasn't getting managing to get my child into school, you know, they sort of put it all back on to you. And you realise that's what it is. It's test. They've got the tests at half term, tests at Christmas, because they then run all the algorithms for it to see what the points gained or lost are in terms of improvement, attainment, attendance. You know, you're all you're something to your child is then a data point to be presented to the executive. Essentially, it's very I mean, corporate. And even the way that they dress them in these sort of awful nylon blazers. I mean, I remember the first day it was thirty two degrees. They're not allowed to take the blazers off imagine what they smell like when they go but you think what are, are they all being trained to sort of be bank clerks which is a job that doesn't actually exist anymore anyway it's an ant farm isn't it um, i mean George, why would you want them to be so uncomfortable all day like these sort of little clerical workers it was just the most bizarre thing to me but i don't think it's clerical so to going to that point this is why i love george never met george but i just see him as the canary in the mine it's like a sane response to it. You know, his response yes. looks like he's going off, but his is actually the actual healthy the, response. The healthy, the proportionate and appropriate response to an insane situation. The, but the blazers say, all oh, the three stripes and you're out, say, oh, you know, and I mean, what, and I've read the list today. It says what they're going to try and persuade parents to understand, it said in the article, was that moments matter and attendance counts is the new slogan that all parents will be sent. I'm going to say that again. No. Uh, and so basically, so you up the act, so imagine all those mothers all over the country with the stress that you had, and now you're squeezing them even more, imagining that every moment your child misses is a moment that is going to impact them in the future, all that. Fact. But this is what was, this is what I got, because I would get a phone call and an email every day. Where is he? Where is he? And they started, so bearing in mind, this was before they'd stopped the um I, the need to iso- requirement to isolate so uh, you know lockdowns are finished we still need to isolate if we're ill they started they handed out on day one little badges that said 100% attendance that you could keep on until you'd stopped until you'd missed a day and you think are you absolutely insane we're still in the pandemic <laughs> and you're managing a budget why did you spend the money on that like and also what are you trying to encourage them to come in when they're ill well, that, I mean, that just, the whole logic of that, absolutely bonkers. But even if it was now out of pandemic period, no, the, still the, the incentivization creepiness of that. I mean, what what I am reminded of is is um is institutional flow. Is I, I remember reading this article in years ago, and it, it was talking about an environment, about how you get compliance. And I read it to my husband because it, it so reminded me of hospital when you're having a baby. <laughs> and it said, you know, moving from room to room, bright lights, never let people stay too long in one room, constantly interrupt the atmosphere, offer offer little incentives, all this. 
and it was a a, a correctional institute you know it was a it was a prison mm-hmm. and i i mean in the sense it, i know institutions do need compliance and they do need flow i mean obviously there's a lot of people to manage and handle and probably teachers listening to this will say well how else are we supposed to manage a thousand students but i'm sorry to to, to run it like a a military establishment slash open air prison and George's response to that must no, no wonder he had PTSD because in a single moment he effectively had his I'm sure he had an extreme reaction because of the way you are as a parent that you let your children breathe and be free and I can picture I don't know them but I can picture how they must be that they are themselves and probably his was extremity was because he hasn't been you haven't groomed him for compliance array no, you know? and and so therefore and if, and if people have been sitting down you know being tutored to bits you know for three hours like maybe they were all fine with putting a little badge on saying 100 percent attendance but mm. personally i'm deeply offended i don't know what's happening but is how come the government or whoever the dv department of education have not had to have some kind of consultation exercise with the country about this i mean i am dumbstruck that nobody explains the segue even and says, look, primary is one world. Here's your word. This is, there should be some kind of preparation. Was there any offer of a preparation? But no, but also it's been reported that academization has failed anyway. I mean, it's not been a successful experiment. So I find that extraordinary that it's being extended downwards to primary schools, because I think it's been notable that actually primary schools have still been pretty impressive on the whole in this country and it's because yeah. they haven't been touched yet by the, the yeah. curse of exactly that's what my friend was saying but yeah. i mean it shows you that, that i mean that, that, that all of this is an to me uh um emblematic of technocracy generally which is this top-down ruling and this is what this friend was saying that she said she's never met the head he has still not invited her in for a chat he just sort of pitched in like a businessman and she said it was it was bizarre i mean this school is an old school catholic primary and you know that's been working very well producing amazing yeah, results no amazing need to change it. yeah no, but you know but it's also a class thing because you see at the amazing top private schools they have their own theaters dance studios uh, you know, music facilities are amazing. They've got all these sort of extra bells and whistles. So they, they know that all these other things are important um, and they do it and they encourage it. And actually Latam has recently ditched GCSEs altogether, um, you know, and they're just, yeah, the new cohort won't won't do them. And and I just think that it you then get a sort of a, this growing divide, which is, is awful as well. And I just, the way a friend of mine who was a teacher for many years in, Balham amongst other places she was saying you know these academies that get outstanding because they get these amazing results so you, if you saw the way that the teachers were speaking to, to some of these children she said she got so stressed by the end she, had, she got signed off for stress because she just couldn't bear it but it's oh. just a way um the people at these private schools just wouldn't allow their children to, and no, I'm not saying I that think... these other parents do allow it they don't know it but what I'm saying is I don't even think that the it just wouldn't happen, you know, and I don't know why it is that people think that it's fine to speak to these other kids like this. It's patronising, demeaning, and it's not, and like you said, it just takes, it's taking away agency. It's as if they're sort of a threat. And I think it, it does have elements of correctional institutions. And that sounds hyperbolic, but I actually, that's the kind of vibe I got. But one has to then wonder why. And that's, that's where I'm going. Because it's great. Well, I think it's largely grazing because they get it's performance related pay for the teachers as well. So, you know, if she was getting more money if she got more better results, GCSEs, 
Um, and and everyone, the parents, lots of the parents, she said, are happy with it because they want to get the good grades. Because if you get the good grades, you get the university, and you know, it's sort of become this obsession with grades. I mean, hopefully, there's a bit but of. But that still doesn't now. add up. That still doesn't add up because if you go really big picture, I get it that the, the donkey and carrot applies to the parents as well. They think, oh, if I help my kids, if I help my children to do well, then they'll do well, and then and then get to university, and they get to university, they get a job. I get the whole way advanced, you know, Western world works. But once you get to university, that's not how it works. And I know mine is a bit of an anomalous situation and I should sort of, I'm sure people have picked up on it when we've had the podcast before. So while my children didn't take any exams at all, and okay, we were in the privileged situation of going to, well, it is private, but it's it's dinosaur. It's not one of the pricey ones. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, is that it's still a privilege, of course. Yeah. And, I, and I, for which I would have paid anything. And one of the reasons, well, fun enough, politically, I would have always been of the school of thinking of like, you know, fair education. I'd, I'd like to be explicit about this actually on here because it's a chance to say it. So I would have probably pitched myself through the 90s. I'd have been shocked by my mother self saying no, my kids are going to private school until I got to the sort of system yeah. and discovered that far from it being, you know, equality for all and, you know, and fair and across the board, which I would have subscribed to, until I realised what we've been discussing, which is but my neighbours, they, they they always argued that. It's like, no, no, you know, it has to be accessible to all. It's, it's you know, to pay means to be, to set up a sort of hierarchical system and make, you know, of course, it's true. Except you go to the average state, you know, to a state school and it's absolutely geared to a shockingly doggy dog geared towards disadvantaging, disadvantaging, you know, people who haven't got the resources I don't know. It feels it feels even worse. Well, it feels like you made... the psychological resources. That's the thing. So that's why, in a way, it became not a class issue for us because he didn't have the psychological resources to withstand it. Mm -hmm. My friend, who's a primary school teacher, head teacher in the nearby borough, she said that kids from her school generally go to a different school, but again, another academy. And she said, yeah, they sink or swim in that first year. They sink. I mean, isn't that awful? Yeah. <laughs> she said, and this so is it's a phenomenon. You know, it's not only it's because... COVID related. You that some will be fine and some won't, and if they. And that's just the way it goes. And that's not what um, a state education should, it should be for all, not for those who can hack it. For all, exactly. And, and and it feels to me more like crowd control, sort of, and going to this point of, you know, you're going to have a tighter ship. If you run a tighter ship, you'll get better results. If you get better results, more people get to university. To me, that isn't a sort of patronising, you know, it's just, to, first of all, to assume that university is the end, is the be-all and end-all, the starters, which, you know, and, and becoming a standard the aspiration is is only aspiration for one arena. I remember what what was what's the artist artist who dresses in dresses is really interesting. Grayson Grace Perry. Perry. I remember him being on a on a radio program program and he said and stunned the you know middle class audience. He he said perhaps aspiration if we start addressing why aspiration means one story in town you know there's like you only aspire to what white middle-class privileged people think is worth aspiring to you know there are other things to aspire to and you know that also give you a good life but nobody wants to talk about those it has to be only an ex-figured salary and the potential of buying a house and sitting in a rabbit hutch in London going working 15 hours a day and calling it a good job you know I mean personally I do anything to keep my child out of that world and have done because I don't they're going to the point of if they run a tight ship, they get the results, let's get those kids through, keep them attending, is that society doesn't seem to be stopping and thinking to what end? I mean, you know, basically, 
it feels like, I don't know, there must be somebody doing the demographics and doing the numbers and working out that because there's not going to be many jobs left in you know 20, the next 20 years, it's all going to alter. So as far as I can see, it's going to be a lot of number crunching, a lot of, what's that um, coding? It's going to be a lot of basically, when you said about why are they building a whole army of cleric uh, of clerks it's not clerks is it it's tech it's basically tech you know it's just stem you know i mean my daughter's doing english and is regularly taking the piss out for you know they, they, why are you doing english what a waste what a waste how why are you doing english at university what you know squandering your money and your time and it, you're right i mean that, that you know they can't it's like the only thing that's valued is basically getting in. But that's but to think that the purpose of university is for uh, get you to sort of a vocational purpose. I heard a while ago on a Brené Brown podcast, she was saying, that, you know, they have liberal arts college in America. So you don't know what you're going to do. You choose after you've done a few courses. And um, and her daughter had been saying to her before she was applying to university, oh, God, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what I want to major in. She said, if you did know what you wanted to major in and you were sure about it, I wouldn't pay for you to go because you wouldn't need me to because you would know what you're going to do and then you'd be able to sort of forge that path. <laughs> um, she said, of course, what you don't know what you want to do. You're only 18, like 17, 18. You, that's the whole point. You go and find out by actually experiencing it. That's you know? And, uh, and I like yeah, that. I, mean, that. I also just yeah. like the fact that We've seemed to have forgotten that you need to be able to think in different ways, and these subjects help you think in different ways. So, so true. I mean, my daughter's doing a liberal arts degree for exactly that reason because because it's about an education. You're not going to university to to sign on the dotted line. You're going there to open your mind, mm -hmm. and um, she she did that. But I mean, yeah, one could go on and on. I don't want it to be utterly negative, but I do, I do, I really wanted to speak to you because I did want to open this up for people to hear and wonder about and question, just like I've always done with childbirth. I feel like we're at a junction and if more parents like you go, hang about, maybe I'm not mad <laughs> and hang about, maybe my child is having a, making a good point here. I don't know whether we can vote with our feet, but anyway, but tell us what then happened and what's the current state. Yeah, well, I, I think that there is a bit of a shift, but I think it will take time to sort of wash through um, to be more widely noticeable. And I think that's before I get back to where George is at now, that um, the fact that people in probably sort of Gen Z rather than millennials, Gen Z, you know, they started off doing side hustles, as they call it. <laughs> um, but I think that lots of people are realising that they can set up what their working environments to suit them, you know, and they will just say, actually, I'm not putting up with that anymore. And so I, I think that that will then filter down their kids won't they'll think well what is all this madness you know in the way that they're not putting up with the world of work being the way that we put up with it being they won't put up with schools being the way they are i don't think i hope but yeah so where we're at with george with after lots of toing and throwing is that he's now part-time um at a tiny tiny little school where he has um one-to-one -one or small group classes but it, it's taken a long time to get to the stage that he's at now where he's actually uh, a happy boy again and confident and what well, more confident and um feeling positive again and that's from giving him flexibility so understanding that there were day he, he couldn't at the beginning we kept thinking right now you're going to be back now you're going to be back and then he, he wouldn't and then there'd be an argument and it, and just giving him that 
autonomy to say, actually, no, I can't do it today. And believing him that he can't do it today when he says he can't do it today and that it's not just because he's lazy or because, you know, he's got no aspirations. He used to say, look, God's sake, don't you think that I want to be back to how I used to be? You know, I miss the, I miss that. And um, is that so, interesting that the very yeah. antidote turned out to be the thing that was robbed? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and I think that that was a that was the thing that was sort of, you know, I had to keep coming back to is that we all want to self actualize. That's a, that's an innate sort of human trait, but it has to come from a place of safety. And I think that yeah. the problem with these schools is that the children don't actually feel safe there. They feel on edge. And that's very taxing and that and ex that's exhausting physically. But the reason I made the surveillance point, which sounded like just angry, but actually I was making a point about surveillance and privacy is that I personally don't think it's possible. I had a brilliant podcast for anybody who wants to listen to it on Philosophize This. If you look, it's a very, you know, it's got thousands of episodes, but the one is about surveillance. And he explains that everybody thinks that when they say, oh, you know, privacy, why, well, you know, who cares about privacy if you haven't got secrets, blah, blah, blah. And he defines why human beings need private thought, not feeling observed. And he says it's it's not because you're keeping something from the powers that be or from Google or you know whoever's tracking you. It's because unless humans can operate within their own brain, knowing that there's a possibility of that being totally just within them, there it ends, you can't fully actualize in the way you're saying you 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 actually a big component of being a human being mm. is, pro is being yourself unobserved and yeah. that when when we're in the bathroom staring it's like even our parents you know, that part of us that is our essential selves is what is the kernel of our own existence and so this surveillance i wonder if the edginess and i've heard that reported from my nephews they feel edgy and everyone thinks, oh, it's because the big boys might throw a fight or it might be because they're not having friends or it's anxiety. On, and on the reports today, it's endlessly talking about anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Nobody looks at the source points. Surely it's pretty anxiety provoking if, as I heard one peripatetic teacher say that she heard this group of children and they said, my children, back to class. And as you cross the playground, remember the cameras are watching. And mm -hmm. that's what they said to this group. And they were nine years old. And it, it, so meaning, you know, don't misbehave. Well, we would have had that at school. I'd have had my sister, Mary Agnes, you know, saying behave girls. You know, But you knew you some of the girls knew they could go and smoke fags behind the thingy. And if they, you know, they might get they might take the risk of getting caught. But the fact was that they had that chance to be to be what disobedient if they wanted. But now you're being watched. That is the, the panopticon. That's the standard philosophical, you know, who was it that came up with that concept of the watchtower? You know, if you're being watched, your behavior is modified. End of. And if it's you're being perpetually watched, you're perpetually mm -hmm. modified. It is disgusting. And, and Iris, who's still at primary school, comes home so tired. And I know it's because even when they're at playtime, they're sort of the you, the girls um, are playing football today the boys are you know you're even sort of marshalled around the playground so there's that sort of thing exactly there's not that time just to sort of just flop and 
Mm. I remember coming on at Barn Station and there was a school outing coming off. And do you remember how fun school outings were? And you could, you know, you'd get that giddiness and giggling. Yeah, and giggling. I know. And they're not, they're all silent. I bet they were silent. I know. Well, no, one boy was on the platform and he was being, you know, sort of Larry in the way that, that, you know, whatever that means now. I love that word. And I, and I, I, this teacher came up behind him, leant into his ear. I was walking alongside and she hissed, make positive choices. (laughs) And then what he was doing was being a bit of a, bit of a, you know, really, no, you know, well, this will set your hair on end. So, um, Iris's class went on their PGL trip at the beginning of year six, and as they were getting off the coach, um, upon their return, the head teacher was saying how amazingly well they'd been behaved, and they'd had a day trip to Salisbury Cathedral, and they were, had been doing some drawings or something, um, with one of the people from the cathedral, and then they were putting their stuff away. And she said, "Come on, that's not uh, name their school. That's not the way we do it." do it again and that the, they'd already the staff had already been commenting on how amazing they'd never seen such well-behaved children um and the head teacher looked so proud as she said that then um they tied it up again and they put all the colored pencils in colored order and all again and me and my friend were horrified like when you and that was a good thing that <laughs> oh my lord yeah oh, no next level it's, I mean, next the same day. on the swimming bus, they were like, the boys had literally just been boys, such a sweet class. And they're saying, I expected better behaviour from you. Said, but why? <laughs> it's 10-year-old boys going swimming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I suppose, so... Aren't they behaving you know, exactly like 10 boys, 10-year-old boys should be behaving? Again, back to the appropriate behaviour thing and allowing some range in humanity, you know. The, we all remember the naughty kids. We all remember there was a middle ground and there was always the good. Yeah, but they didn't have to get through everything, did they? They didn't have to get through it and hit this target and hit this mark. It didn't matter. Nobody cared, you know. They could be sort of, one teacher might just read you one book for the whole year and that was that, you know. No one knew. So I'm sure there were downsides to that too, no doubt. But I just feel I've got an overwhelming sense that it was a much more relaxing experience for me than yeah. it is for these kids, especially the one sensitive of the ones. One of the things I remember when we spoke and you told me about this, and I, I remember the word that came to mind when you were explaining George's experience was I was very upset, but shame was being used. And I and I, I noticed that, obviously, coming more from a doula perspective, like, that women are often, shame is used about women's maternity choices you know so for example if you're not going to be induced like really you're going to let your baby and and in a way it's the same thing so to get compliance and to get good behavior you you you, you know you hold people up you mm-hmm. you don't just say look take responsibility for your life you shouldn't be doing this you know wh- why are you doing this fair enough i'm not anti-discipline i don't think there should be anarchy clearly i'm, I'm i was i was pretty two shoes to be fair but it came from within me that that's you no know, responsibility for my own self and that it's to use shame and humiliation because so one of the words i'm really objecting that is that a, de- a detention is now called isolation isn't it i mean no I no no isolation is a whole other kettle of fish isolation is when if you're misbehaving in the classroom the teacher can call on the walkie-talkie and someone will come in their high-vis jacket take the child out of the class and put them in isolation so and then <laughs> what? they can spend their whole day there sometimes yeah but it is an open air prison then. I mean, there are lots of similarities. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, okay, listen. I mean, I, I have I, to I say, to, in defence, like I don't. Uh, to be clear, there are there were some lovely teachers there, and um, 
I mean, genuinely really lovely teachers there. And they were working within the system. It wasn't their fault, you know. I mean, one of them started off quite defensive on the phone. And then by the end of the phone phone call was saying, oh, let's go for a drink sometime. I completely agree with everything. <laughs> Listen, can I say that as part of this podcast? You know, I, I have never, ever, same with midwives and, and doctors even. I'm talking about systemic. No, no, I know. But I just wanted to be clear because there were some yeah, lovely yeah. people and I know that they were genuinely concerned but um i just would like people to wake up to the technocratic technocratic sort of stranglehold that seems to be taking over society no um, i couldn't agree with you more i really i couldn't agree with you more and i the only I, I wouldn't wish what we've been through um on anyone at all but the only thing i'm pleased about now is that we is the things that we've avoided from him not having been in school and effectively yeah. you know homeschooling for a bit and and i would never wish that on him what he's gone through but but Actually, he is now at a place where he is fully himself. And I'm not sure that he would have been had we had he stayed, you know. Hannah, that's so positive. And I also want to say, to end on a positive note, actually, I love what you said about this Gen Z. What did you call them? The projects? Because I totally agree with you. I see it happening and I feel like humanity will prevail. And you're right, reject because there isn't the possibility particularly of getting anything you can go to university and it doesn't necessarily lead to anything anyway, that you might as well just um, return to your own agency. And I see that with my daughter, you know, she's doing little jobs that she's getting going already because she has to support herself. So she's doing little, exactly that. So also just their self-advocacy in within the workplace. I mean, in my office, I almost felt a bit jealous because, you know, I had done this, all the things that I was supposed to do and just sort of complied 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 to my own detriment as it transpires um in, on many an occasion and and I just sort of saying no I'm, I'm not doing that because I'm doing this and I've already made these plans to do x y and z you know just sort of think you can't say that <laughs> and they think no actually good on you bloody hell so I do I find that quite inspiring actually I mean of Love course there's sort of got to be balanced there as well and you know some someone's got to take responsibility for what needs to be done and you know that sort of thing but with a variety of life can once again be addressed in that it, it will return I just I believe that we're in some strange peak capitalism nightmare moment that is basically on the way but it's on the way and I agree with I you I think it is because I just and that was thanks to the pandemic I mean it, horrific though yeah. it was we always in our generation believe that you just had to keep working harder 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 play harder 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 you know mm -hmm. and everyone was proud of how much how long they'd worked how many hours they'd worked how many days they'd worked and then you just realize you were sold this complete bloody lie oh. and if you could roll back those 20 years you spent subscribing to it you bloody win. <laughs> So let's be hopeful because George is leading the way with his torch. I definitely feel hopeful for the reasons you're saying. And I feel there is a, we're in a, what do they call it? They call it a civilizational moment. And I think, yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting to talk to you. Oh, I find it fascinating. I really I know. Do. Well, I can always talk to you for hours, but I'm not sure how long, <laughs> much longer anyone else will want to listen to us talk. Yeah, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. And lots of love to you. And thank you very much for coming. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye-bye. Bye, speak to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.